Nehemiah chapter 4 this evening. If you're with us tonight and you don't have a Bible, there are men coming up the aisles right now and they have Bibles and just wave and get their attention. They'll be happy to get one into your hands and it's best to be able to hear the Word of God and also be able to read along this evening. And then if you don't own a Bible, that's a gift to you tonight. You feel free to take that uh, home. One moment, please. So we find ourselves in Nehemiah chapter 4 tonight. Sunday night's a survey of the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. And as we come to chapter 4 this evening, the building of the wall of Jerusalem has begun under the leadership of Nehemiah. And because that work that God had called him and the Jews uh, to do had begun now in chapters 4 through 6, a series of six attempts by their enemies uh, to stop the work, rise up, and they try these six devices to try and bring this work of God to a halt. Paul wrote to uh, the church at Corinth in his second epistle, 2 Corinthians chapter 2.11, and he said uh, to them, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices or of his schemes. And whenever I read that verse, I say, we aren't. Uh, Sometimes we are, and we shouldn't be. One of the great things in these three chapters of the book of Nehemiah, I don't think there is a better uh, exposing of the devil's schemes found in all of the Bible. Not in the sense of how it exposes his schemes in his temptations against us individually. I think Satan's temptation of Jesus is uh, very profound in that way. But you can't find a better exposure of the devil's schemes in how he attacks the work of God and the servant of God who's attempting to be obedient to the work that God wants to do through him or through her as is found in these three chapters. Now, when we talk about serving God, when we talk about expanding the kingdom of God, and in every Christian's life, uh, a, as I've mentioned before, a serviceless Christianity is an abnormal Christianity. It's not a biblical Christianity. And all of us ought to be serving the Lord in some capacity. The kingdom of God should be expanding and strengthening uh, in some way because of our existence, that we're born again, God has given us spiritual gifts, and he's called us to do certain things. Now, the problem is, is that in our minds so often we begin to sometimes click all the way over and say, all right, I am not engaged in some kind of formal service at the church that I attend, and so I'm not engaged in Christian service or the expansion of the kingdom. But Christian ministry is not limited to what happens uh, within the grounds of a particular church or even the influence of a particular church. To raise godly children is to strengthen the body of Christ. It is to expand the kingdom of God, uh, to view my job and what I, uh, what I do and God has called me to do in my particular place in the world and to view that as a calling of God 
and then to do that as unto the Lord, well, that's Christian service. And so all these, these three chapters, they all relate to all of us that are, uh, view our Christian life in that, that kind of, of a way. And so these are very rich chapters in, in this regard. And so we begin in chapter 4, verse 1, and we're told, But so it happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant, and this is opposition number one, he mocked the Jews. And, and so the first device is the device of mocking, and that word mock means to mock, it means to ridicule, to make fun of, to scoff or to scorn. I'll tell you, it's a very, very powerful device of the enemy. And many people stop almost at the very beginning of their Christian service uh, when they are confronted almost immediately, and almost all of us are when we take our first steps of faith, uh, met with this particular opposition of our enemy who happens to be the devil. Someone has said that some people can stand bravely when uh, some people who can stand bravely when they're shot at will collapse when they're laughed at. That's the truth. It's funny, the complexity of human nature, what we're vulnerable to. Shakespeare called ridicule paper bullets of the brain. In other words, ridicule or scorn or mocking, it can take a person out mentally. You could never, you couldn't wear them out, you couldn't tire them out, uh, you, you, you can't, there's a certain kind of person, you cannot get to them in terms of ever quitting their service on a physical level. But you, you can take them out of their game. Uh, by attacking them mentally with this thing called uh, scorn or this thing called mocking. As Shakespeare noted, and as the Bible shows us here, it's a very, very powerful device. And so they mocked the Jews, and this is the form that the mocking took. And he spoke before his brethren, other opposers of the Jews, and the army of Samaria, which was a present, present and they said, what are these feeble Jews doing? And so the first thing they do in terms of mocking is mocking the feebleness or the relative lack of strength of the Jews compared to uh, other people in Jerusalem. And the Jews were a very, very small sect. They were a very feeble, powerless sect in Jerusalem at that, at this particular time. And, and so they, mock them related to their lack of power that they are these just these feeble Jews. I don't know that there's hardly any of us that when God calls us to do something, and He will always call us to do something that is greater than our natural abilities. Because if He calls us to do something that is lesser than our natural abilities, then everyone will be able to look and say, yes, exactly what happened there and the fruit of all of that is completely explainable in the natural related to their life. But when the fruit that God brings out of our life is way beyond what people know we are and what we have and how talented we are or whatever, then God gets the glory. And for that reason, the Bible says, God calls weak people or feeble people to his service by and large. Let me read the passage to you, even if it's familiar to you. Sometimes I wish every time I read the Bible, I was reading it for the first time. 
So it would have that kind of impact. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, and they were all concerned about not, you know, appearing strong and all this stuff. And he said, for you see your calling, brethren, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. There are not many wise according to the flesh. Not many. There are some, but not many mighty. Not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. Just raise your hand if you bear witness to that. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. And so when you are immediately, God calls you to take a step of faith and you realize, I can't do this. Well, welcome to the club, buckaroo. We'll give you a little membership card after the service. It's just the way that it is. That's, that's how he... So because he works that way, this will always be potentially, if we allow it to be, potentially a very powerful device. Because when the devil mocks, you're going to do what? You? You're going to, you think God has called you to do what? And when you listen to him, sounds as crazy to you as it does to him. But he doesn't believe it. Because he's been watching human history for thousands of years. And he looks and he's seen this scenario played over and over and over again. Some weakling, some little shepherd boy that's the eighth son, the anonymous son of some shepherd in the city of Bethlehem. And he calls him to become the greatest king next to Jesus himself in the history of the Jews and the nation of Israel. So he's seen this all the He doesn't believe his mocking. And you notice that mocking came out of the fact that they were furious and very indignant. They were steamed over what was going on here. And Satan recognizes the danger. If that person, in all of their weaknesses, believes, as Paul said, what God spoke to him, that his grace is sufficient for him because God's grace and God's strength, rather, is made perfect in weakness, then we're in trouble. So I say that because I don't know how many, how many people, what percentage of the body of Christ is simply taken out from ever taking their first step of faith in Christian service when they are met right at the door by the devil who says, you are going to do what? And it's said through some parent or it's said through some family member or some schoolmate or some co-worker, or someone in the body of Christ. Very powerful, powerful device. And so what are these feeble Jews going to do? We say, God, this is who God chooses, feeble people. Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? In other words, they're mocking the idea that they will ever complete that wall and celebrate by offering sacrifices to the Lord. You can go ahead and try that. You can step out and do that thing. But I'm telling you, it's never going to happen. You haven't heard from God. God isn't going to use you that way. 
And so they cast doubt. You're, you're never going to finish what you think God has called you to do. Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish stones that are burned? And then Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he threw in his two cents. Whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, the lightest of animals, they build this wall. You just take a fox who's a few pounds, put it on the wall, and the whole wall will collapse. So he throws his mocking in, and that is you're about to waste your life attempting to do something that won't amount to anything. And that's another powerful device. And especially in the early stages of our Christian service, the devil comes against us and says, What in the world are you doing? You quit that job to do this? You took that step of faith and it cost you that to do this. It is never going to succeed. You are wasting your life. And what you think is going to come out of your life isn't going to stand and and meet the test of time at all. And so this is the kind of, of mocking that they bring against. They mock the building materials that they're using there. In verse 2. And what was really behind their mocking. And we need to notice it again there in verse 1. They were furious. That word furious in the Hebrew. It means to burn. It means to be kindled with anger. They were on fire with anger. And they were indignant. Which means to be in a state of strong displeasure. As we mentioned before last week. Whenever your enemy uses mocking against you to try and get you to stop, it means that the enemy has nothing tangible or powerful to work to use against us. He's indignant. He is upset. He is on fire with anger that we are obeying the Lord and what he's called us to do. He knows where this thing goes. He's seen it again over and over and over again. And I, I, I don't know about you. I... I hope the devil has a lot of sleepless nights over God's people doing what God has called them to do, despite the fact that it's going to be all God who does it. It's all God that's going to do it through, through our lives. And so here is this, this desperation that they're feeling. They, they thought that a strong Jewish influence in Judah was a thing of the past, and they're really, really upset uh, over it, and so this is their anger, the motivation uh, behind it. Now they they didn't believe that uh, the Jews were uh, feeble at all. They didn't believe their device, because if you believe the Jews, if they actually believe the lie, this is why you can never believe what the devil says to you, or uses somebody to say that to you. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. And we'll see how you you come against that in just a moment. So you can never believe the devil's assessment at all. He's bluffing. He's always bluffing. Because greater is he who is in us, God, than he who is in the world. That is the devil. So they didn't believe that the truly believe that the Jews were feeble or that the wall wouldn't stand. Because if they truly believed that, they wouldn't have bothered mocking him. They'd have just gone home, had a nice pasta lunch with a beautiful olive salad, nice Greek salad. Had some non-alcoholic sparkling cider and a nice chocolate mousse for dessert and uh, called it a day. 
They wouldn't have wasted their time. Let them go do whatever they want. It's not going to amount to anything, and the thing will end up in a heap inside of 30 days of them getting it done. But they knew that wasn't true. If they did believe that, then they wouldn't have even wasted their time. They were threatened, and that was the hidden reason. Again, never, ever believe the enemy's assessment of what you're doing. And certainly when he's mocking. Warren Wiersbe wrote this. He said, when the enemy laughs at what God's people are doing, it's usually a sign that God is going to bless his people in a wonderful way. Now, you believe that. Believe that in your Christian service. When you get this kind of opposition happening, the point of taking a step of faith, and my experience, is, it corresponds with his experience totally. It means that something outstanding is right around the corner that God has in mind. Now notice Nehemiah's uh, response here to what they had done. His immediate response is prayer. So he's, he's heard the devil, the devil's assessment of things. And so that's a lie. So where are you going to go to get the truth? Well, you go to God. So I'm not going to believe the devil's assessment of my life. And so these accusations and this, this mocking and all, he responds by going to the Lord in prayer. And he said, Hear, O God, for we are despised. And turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to the land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity, nor let their sin be blotted out from before you. For they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So God, listen, this is what they're saying to us. This is how they're trying to discourage us. But this is not our battle, God. We didn't choose us for this. You chose us for this. And so this is your battle. It's up to you to defend us in this. And so in prayer, he just uh, turned it over uh, to the Lord. And so he doesn't respond to these enemies at all. He went and he talked to God first. I like the old saying that it isn't good to talk to men before you talk to God. I've talked with people before I've talked with God, and then I've talked with God, and then I realized what I, if I had talked with God prior, I would have said entirely different things to men. It's a lot better to talk to God first, and then to talk to men, especially in situations that are as uh, volatile as this and so much hanging in the balance. And so he just basically asked that God would make this whole thing backfire on their enemies, and that he would judge them for their attempt to stop the work that God had called them to. And so he's just saying, God, be just, mete out justice in the situation. Uh, let God take care of it. And, uh, and he asked God to fight for them. Now, there are some people in the body of Christ, Christians, who, who we are in our old nature, we love a fight. Never back down from a fight in our life. Who you call in a feeble person? What do you mean what we're going to do isn't going to last? <laughs> so that kind of stuff makes us angry in our flesh. 
Here's how you have to be careful of that, what Nehemiah did. He doesn't even answer them. He goes to prayer, and he's just going to continue the work as we're going to see in just a moment. If the devil can peg us and identify us as a Christian man or woman who will, every time we're offended or every time something is uh, said against us uh, like this, we get easily pulled away, we get drawn into a big fight, we won't let God uh, fight for us, then the devil's just going to have people insulting us all of the time. And so there has to be careful about that. If a person's, one of the great things about serving the Lord for a while is you do develop thicker skin related to things. And I mean that in a good sense. And, and so this kind of stuff doesn't move you away. And the devil, if he spots us as someone, you just got to offend this guy, he'll go off, and then you, you can knock his head off, spiritually speaking, and ruin his reputation, take six months to recover, and then he'll try it again, and you do it all over to him again. The best thing to do is just to go to God in prayer and say, God, I heard your marching orders. They're up against you, not up against me supremely. Help me not to be worried about people insulting me, and and stay busy about the work. And we're told they kept busy. So we built the wall, and the entire wall around the city was joined together up to half its height. That's amazing. And the reason that it occurred is because people, the people had a mind to work. And so this at this point, the wall is uh, halfway built up in terms uh, of its height. And again, it teaches us that mocking can hurt our feelings. It's a dangerous device of the enemy. But it need never be effective in our lives. It can only be effective if we allow it to be effective. And we allow it to be effective by allowing, uh, by allowing it to draw us away from the work to now fight fire with fire and come down to the level of our, of our enemies. And so this is how they responded to it. And then the second attack against them, or the second device, was the threat of force or uh, the threat of violence against them, physical violence. Now, it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, and Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. They've got an anger problem. Good to... It's nice to know that as we serve the Lord, it, it really, uh, the devil has to buy a lot of Tums and a lot of Maylocks. really upsets him, and I like him being upset. So they're very, very upset uh, over this, and all of them conspired together to come and to attack Jerusalem and to create confusion. So they're unsuccessful in their first attempt. And so they turn now to stronger measures and a stronger form of opposition. They threaten to physically attack the Jews from all directions and do physical harm to the Jews. Now, these uh, three men that are listed, uh, three, they represent three groups which virtually surrounded the city of Jerusalem. To the north of Jerusalem were Sanballat and the Samaritans. To the east, Tobiah and the Ammonites. To the south, Geshem and the Arabs. To the west, the Ashdodites. So all these people did not want to see a renewed Jewish presence, the presence of God's people in the city of Jerusalem. And so sometimes God's people have trouble working together. God's enemies don't. 
They don't mind aligning with whoever to oppose God and God's people. So here, they, vert, they essentially surround the entire city. And it gives us an idea. You know, we read through the scriptures and, and it's like, okay, uh-huh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh-huh, uh-huh. And if, so if you're like me in the morning, that's with a cup of tea. Yes, I see. Yes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then a little piece of toast, a little raisin bran or something, and heading right through it. Sometimes we forget the magnitude of what these people found themselves in. This was a serious threat against them to do physical harm. And these people had the ability uh, to do it. And so they noticed the progress of, of, of God's people here. And so they resort to a threat of physical violence uh, against them. And then, as we're told, Nehemiah's response here, nevertheless, we made our prayer to God. And because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. So once again, he prayed, Nehemiah, all the way through. We just see him virtually doing virtually nothing except that he prays to the Lord related to whatever the situation is. The Bible says, casting all of our cares on him because he cares for us. And all these prayers are kind of casting their cares on God kind of prayers. God, this is your business. God, this is your, this is only you have the strength for this. I give it to you, Lord, so I can stay focused on what you've called me uh, to do. And so uh, they prayed and uh, the importance of prayer. I like it in Ephesians chapter 6, that great chapter where Paul addresses spiritual warfare. And one of the things he talks about is the fact that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Uh, the people, that the opposition that we face, it, it isn't in doing God's work. It isn't the human being that's in front of us, but it's the spirit that's behind them. It's the devil that's behind them in opposing the work. And so half of the battle is to recognize, oh, that isn't Joe Bacalupi trying to stop me from serving the Lord. It's the devil using Joe Bacigalupi. God bless you, Joe, God, Bo, Joe Bacigalupi, if that's your name here tonight. And just pull it out of kind of thin air on things. I know there's one who lives in Riverbank, but we'll trust that this doesn't get back to him. <laughs> I'm not in the office of a prophet at the moment. So to recognize, oh, it's the spirit that's behind this person and then Paul, when he develops all of that in terms of our armor and all, he talks about the importance of prayer. Praying always, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all of the saints. And so they prayed, and then they set a around-the-clock guard uh, around the work that they were doing. And so after they prayed, they did everything humanly possible to protect themselves from attack. In other words, they weren't going to be pushovers if they were attacked just because they're the people of God. So here we have faith and works. And there's nothing wrong with that. Oliver Cromwell is famous for having said, trust in God and keep your powder dry. In other words, keep all your options open. Trust in God supremely, but he may choose to use your dry powder and your rifle 
in order to bring deliverance to you in the situation. So it's not a lack of faith to make our preparations and our readiness available to God if he should choose to use those things. And so that's what they do. All right, we're going to pray to God, and then we're going to put this in place, just wise security, in in case uh, God chooses to use it. Now what's fascinating in verse 10 is that this second attack against God's people and his work occurred at a time when uh, the children of Israel were becoming discouraged emotionally, very tired physically. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing, and there's so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. And so this attack of the enemy on a threat upon their safety comes at a time where the people are already physically tired, they are mentally tired, they look at the scope of the work, we've done all this work, all this labor, and it, it, you know, and it hardly looks like anything. I mean, we're only halfway there. And so the, the work that they were doing as they cried out there, there's so much rubbish. So again, uh, I hope everyone's had a place in their life where we have... Uh, earned money through backbreaking work and where you just get to that place where you're absolutely exhausted, just completely wiped out, and, and this was really exhausting, backbreaking work that they were doing, sifting through the rubble, getting the right size of the rocks, one on top of the other, all of the lifting. It was all manual labor, and it just seemed endless. And that happens in all Christian service, where the initial excitement is worn off, the excitement of finishing the work is still afar off, and then you think to yourself, what in the world have I gotten myself into? What have I committed to here? What in the world was I thinking? And we don't even need the devil to plant that thought. That self-doubt that occurs there. It's kind of funny, you know, we take these steps of faith and then everybody's excited and hip, hip, hooray and pats on the back and then go and praise the Lord and all the everything, you know, and then you close the door and you turn out the light and now it's just you and God in terms of what you're going to do. There's no more crowds cheering. There's no more. It's just, that's just the way that it is. And it's just a long, hard work that is involved in the service of the Lord. And so this is the place that all of us hit in our service uh, to the Lord. It's absolutely normal and never, ever quit under the weight of that. Everybody hits discouragement in the early part of a work. After the brass bands are done playing... The crowds have dis- dispersed, and then somewhere before the, the work is finished, this discouragement can really settle in on us. I remember our first winter here in Modesto. I thought, what in the world have I gotten myself into? I'd never seen fog like that in my whole life. <laughs> And I quit a great job with the phone company to come here. Somebody said as a word of encouragement to me, quit the phone company, huh? 
That's a job that will be around till hell freezes over. Yes, thank you a lot for that encouragement heading off into who knows what. But God gives you the faith to do it. I'll tell you, during that winter, every time I saw a phone truck, I said, God, if you would just give me my job back at the phone company, I will keep my mouth shut for the rest of my Christian life. I will be a good boy in whatever local church you want to put me into. I have gotten this out of my system. And there's that discouragement that hits in that kind of a place. There always hits, always in whatever form that it takes. The funny thing is that these enemies attack and the devil attacks us in the same way. He attacks them when they're physically down. It's important to know about ourselves as Christians that we are a trinity or a triunity. That's how we were created in the image of God. We weren't created in the image of God because God is five foot ten and 170 pounds. We were created originally in the image of God and that God is a triunity or a trinity, a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when Adam and Eve were created, they were created a trinity of spirit and soul, that is the intellect and the emotion, and body. And when we're born again, that whole spiritual side that died as a result of the sin of Adam and Eve, that is what gets born again inside of us, brought into our lives by the Holy Spirit. But we're still a trinity. And so when we get tired, when we get sick, when we get emotional news that just almost drives us to our knees. What happens to us in the physical carries over and it affects us emotionally. And it also affects us spiritually. And what happens to us spiritually and emotionally affects us physically. And so there needs to be that realization of that in our service to the Lord. And sometimes God can have us doing something where we are redlining, we know this is an unsustainable pace that we're at in this short window of time or whatever it is. We are tired, we are exhausted, and then not to be surprised when the devil then attacks at that point in time, knowing that now when we are physically weak, that it has the potential to make us uh, more vulnerable in other areas. And so just to realize that. And to spot it in one another. Sometimes, sometimes the greatest thing a, a, a Christian servant can do when they're just getting wiped out by discouragement and they think, oh boy, why? And if I only read more and if I only knew more and if I only did this or that and, and prayed more and all of these different things, then this wouldn't be happening. And all you need to do is just go to bed early enough to get 12 hours sleep one night. Let your body get rested, get refreshed. If you have the option to grab a couple of days of rest or whatever it might be. And it's amazing how nothing else changes in the situation. Except just now you've built some margins back into your life physically. And now you're seeing everything clearly. A lot of people go through their first two or three, four, five times. 
of the devil really clobbering them when they're down physically or they're down with some difficult news that they've received and they almost get taken out and they don't realize that the devil studies us very, very carefully and he picks carefully when he decides to attack us and when we are most vulnerable. And so this threat of physical force was reported to Nehemiah and our adversaries said, They will neither know nor see anything until we come into their midst and kill them. So this is pretty serious stuff. And cause the work to cease. And so it was when the Jews who dwelt near uh, near them came that they told us ten times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. So there were Jews that were involved in the building of the walls in Jerusalem who did not live in Jerusalem, but they lived in the surrounding cities that were the dominant populations were these other people that were uh, haters of the Jews. And so they began to get uh, wind of this threat of violent attack that was being planned, and they informed Nehemiah and the people, hey, this is the word out on the street And it's not some random thing. It's something we've heard ten times that they're going to attack us, and and they reported it. And therefore, here was Nehemiah's response, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall, the easiest. They hadn't been built up very high, so the easiest areas to scale over and penetrate the city. And also at the openings... And I set people according to their families and with their swords, their spears, uh, and uh, their uh, bows. And I looked and I arose and I said to the nobles and to the leaders and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. I mean, he just slams the door on fear. What do you mean? They got all these people. They got it the north, the south, the east, the west. They've got us surrounded. They're the power brokers. They're going to slaughter us. We're all going to die. And he comes on the scene, and somebody needs to say it, as he does here. And he said, do not be afraid of them. Give me one reason. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. There's a funny thing about fear. That's powerful stuff, too. And fear is a, it's a very dangerous leaven in the body of Christ. You remember when the spies came back from spying out the land, promised land, they came back with a report of fear, and pretty soon everybody's terrified. It moves really fast. But you know, faith is just as powerful. It's just rarer. And when something like this happens and it begins to unravel and to have somebody stand up and say, we will not be afraid in the light of who our God is and how awesome and how great He is. And that has a, a, a widespread penetrating effect as well. Never be afraid to say that. Never be afraid of some sanctified boasting in the Lord. It can save the hour. It can save the moment. Remember the Lord. You know, we have in our history, remember the main, remember the Alamo. 
And here he takes and he stands up and he says, Now, remember the Lord, great and awesome. And, and so, remember the Lord is here. And then he says, To fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And he stationed them in terms of like a military defense closest to their houses. Again, because the idea is, is that don't let the enemy penetrate if they do attack. Because if they get through you, they're going to get they're going to get to your wife and to your wife and to your children. And so he knew men will fight to the death for their wife and for their children. And and so this was how things were stationed. The Lord first, and then some real wisdom in terms of of allowing men to take that place of defense for their family. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us, the plan was brought out into the open, that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall and everyone to his work. And so uh, the enemies here, they realized that they had been kind of outed in all of this. The plan was exposed and the element of surprise was lost. And so they abandoned their plan for the attack. Now this produced within Nehemiah, uh, 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 he sensed the need to produce some long-term change in terms of what they're doing. And so it was from that time that half of my servants worked at the construction and the other half held the bows, the shields, I mean the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor, and the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. So he realized You know, these guys are getting very, very bold. We have to look out for our families and for our own safety. God had given them a promise. They were to build these walls, but it did not mean that there wasn't going to be difficulty and that they didn't need to be prudent about uh, the physical danger that was a a part of, of being faithful to it. And, and so he takes and he divides his labor force and initially half of the, half of the force was used for building the wall and the other half was then a kind of a military defense. So they lose about half of their effectiveness for building it, it, for that kind of short window in time. And those who built on the wall, and those who carried burdens, the construction uh, half of things, they loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other they held a weapon. And every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built. So even those that were working in the construction were armed and ready for battle. And this, I think it was uh, C.H. Spurgeon who used to put out a, a printed periodical uh, he, we don't have a lot of his DVDs, but uh, Charles Spurgeon used the printed material to put out his sermons and all. And I believe the title of it was uh, "The Sword and the Trowel." And he picked things up. He picked it up from this imagery from Nehemiah. All work. The trowel represents work. The building of the wall, and 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 then the sword that's coupled with it. All work that is done for the kingdom of God. All of it faces opposition. There, there has to be the wearing of the sword as well. Nobody gets to do what God has called us to do without there being a spiritual battle associated with it. It's just the way that it is. And so that's how what he gave the name to that, the sword and the trowel. And, of course, in the New Testament, as it applies to us, the Word of God is declared to be the sword of the Spirit, The two greatest weapons in the world for the advancement of the kingdom of God are the two weapons God has given to us as Christians. It is truth and it is love. 
So you have Islam, you have Allah, you have this whole thing, and it's, it's peace by the sword. It's peace by submission, submission to Allah, even if it's a forced peace. So you can take over entire nations, and you can enforce an outward submission on the people, but it doesn't mean the heart is submitted to the religion or to the God. It can mean, hey, listen, you just go along with this thing, I can't help it that I was born in this country at this time in human history, but you defy these folks and they kill you. That's just the way that it is. So they have my outward appearance, I give them that, but they'll never have my heart and they'll never have my mind. The interesting thing about Christianity is God is not interested supremely in the outward appearance. What He wants is the heart and He wants the mind, and He knows then the outward will follow that. And you cannot force people to think a certain way, and you cannot force them to give their heart to someone, not for the long term, not willingly to where they won't take it back the first chance they get. You can't do that by force. People give their innards, they give their will, they give their heart, they give their mind to, uh, in response to truth and in response to love. And so, as we're involved in a world where, I mean, it's getting really, really volatile persecution of Christian all, o- all over the world and temptations to sometimes fight fire with fire, though I think that governments ought to step up and take care of some things, that's what they're there for. But we have the most powerful weapons when we realize what we are after is impacting the will of that person to surrender to God. We will love them and give them the truth. And if that won't work in a human heart, then there's no moving them at all. And so the sword of of the Spirit for us. And, And the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And so this is, and he said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, the work is great and it's extensive and we are separated far from one another on the wall. There's a relatively few number of people, this great wall that surrounds the city and they're really spread very, very thin. And so whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet under Nehemiah's orders, you rally to where you hear that sound of the trumpet and get ready for battle, and our God will fight for us. And so it was kind of their uh, security system, their security alarm. And then you notice he says, our God will fight for us. And that's good to realize. God is active. When he calls us to do something, And enemies arise against that work. And people become our enemies simply because we're a friend of God. God takes that personally. And we may not see how he handles opposing those that are opposing us. But he is active. Very, very active. God's will will always be accomplished. No one can hinder that. No one can stop that. And he will do whatever is necessary to fight for us to accomplish that work. And so we labored in the work, and half of the men held the spears um, from daybreak until the stars appeared. And uh, at the same time, I also said to the people, let each man and his servants stay at night in Jerusalem that they may be our guard by night and a working party by day. And so neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard 
who followed me took off our clothes, except that everyone took them off for washing. And so these, the, the work days were very, very long. From the moment they had daylight till the last moment they couldn't, didn't have enough light after sunset to do the work. Long, long, hard days. And at this point, Nehemiah begins to keep all of the men present in the city so that uh, if they got attacked, they would be able to repel that attack. And so they kept their clothes on all of the time so they could spring to battle at any time. They didn't get in their jammies. I don't know that they had jammies or little feet and the whole thing. No, but, but obviously, it wasn't the most comfortable way to sleep and all, but they had to be ready to fight in an instant. And so this was that, that whole thing of being instant in season, out of season, ready for battle whenever it might happen. And so this is the picture of what uh, was going on here. <laughs> so we will stop there tonight because chapter 5 is its own device and it's a big device, and it's a whole chapter device. And uh, I don't want to um, uh, go into that and keep us too long this evening. I'm already in a going-too-long purgatory uh, on Sunday morning and Sunday evening for the last two weeks. And so I'm going to pay some of that off here uh, this evening. So we'll stop there tonight. Great lessons, great chapter in the Bible, and we'll continue to look at these devices. So perhaps the worship team come forward right now and give us another opportunity to just worship the Lord in the light of what we've learned from Him from the Word tonight. He's a great God. He's an awesome God. There's nothing that's too difficult for Him. He's always going to win in everything that He's called us to do. And he's worthy of our praises. And so tonight as we look at this passage, as we just continue to worship the Lord, may just that voice of faith as it's being declared to the Lord in song just sweep away any fears in our hearts tonight. We have a great, great God, and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's worship our Lord tonight.